Those great things. Well, let's re reopen the Word of God to our public. As I have said this repeatedly, as we have looked and have meditated on Psalm 39, that this particular psalm is concerned with the brevity of life. It is a psalm that forces us all to think about how short and fragile life really is, but not without seeing that in all things our hope is in the Lord in whose hand our time is fixed. In verses 12 and 13 of Psalm 39, David closes with a confession and a petition. A confession and a petition. David's confession is what he expresses about himself in verse 12, where he says, For I am a sojourner with you, a guest. A sojourner with you, you the Lord, and a guest. These terms, sojourner and guest, were used to describe foreign residents in Israel who were made to feel welcome as God commanded them in the book of Leviticus, but they could not own any land. For David, this is how he truly sees himself in relation to the present world as one whose true home is with the Lord. David is only a pilgrim passing through this fallen world which which he could never identify as his permanent residence. But what was true for David in this regard is true for all of God's people. Which is why 1 Peter 2.11 and Hebrews, Hebrews 11 and verse 13 describes us as believers, as aliens and strangers on earth. We are aliens and strangers on earth. In fact, considering the passage in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 and reading verses 13 through 16. Let's get the full context of this description of us as God's people, strangers and aliens or exiles on the earth. Verse 13, Hebrews 11, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak Thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out. They would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared 
for them a city. And then, if you turn to John chapter 14, and these are some very, very familiar words of our Lord Jesus, spoken to his apostles in the upper room on the night that he would be betrayed. John 14, verses 1 through 3. Our Lord Jesus says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again... And will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Our Lord Jesus Christ was not only assuring his apostles in that upper room in Jerusalem, these words of promise, but those words of promise are to the entire body of Jesus Christ. We have this sweet promise from the Lord. He is preparing for us. He is preparing for us a home. That is our real home. Our true home. It is eternal. It is eternal. It is, as Hebrews 11 says, it's a far better country. And yet, brothers and sisters, how often do we as Christians lose sight of that far better country this world is not our home we are not in our proper homeland we're in the enemy's territory and we are sojourning as exiles in the enemy's territory but soon Christ will return and he will take us to that special place he has prepared for his people. What we just read in Hebrews, a city God has prepared. A city God has prepared. And so back in Psalm 39, here is David, and David is looking with the eyes of faith at where he really was at his time and place in his personal history, preceding glory, And he knows and he recognizes, even as did Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, this is not my home. I am a sojourner. I am a guest. I mean, I have no permanent residency here. And so much more that could be opened up and said about that. But... We move on to the next. The next thing we see here in these last two verses is David's petition. His petition. His his petition in this moment is that God would lift his heavy hand of discipline so that David may have relief before he dies. Look at how David says it. Verse 13, look away from me. 
Look away from me. He's saying this to the Lord. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. And what is he, what is he referring to? What is he, what is, what is he stressing here, connecting here? Well, you go back and you read verse 10. David prays, Lord, remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. And then here at the end of the psalm, this is where the psalm ends, okay? Get this. Where the psalm closes is David saying, Lord, lift that heavy hand of discipline from me. I need relief. I am spent. I am done. And yet, we do not have God's answer. We don't have God's answer. Do you see God's answer there? We do not have God's answer to David's plea. So what should be our takeaway from that? I mean, wow. What a place to end a psalm. I mean, David is getting real here with God. You understand? David, <laughs> David... Sounds like Job. Job 7.19, Job said to the Lord, Will you never look away from me? Or let me alone even for an instant? Oh, we know Job was done. We know he was spent. Well, what should we take away from this? Let me give you a biblical takeaway. That despite how painful and discouraging the discipline is, it was for David, it was for Job, despite how painful and discouraging the discipline is, God's grace is sufficient to sustain you and get you through. The best New Testament example of this, not surprisingly, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul is getting most personal here about his own sufferings. And, and he speaks, he speaks of himself, interestingly, in the third person. In the third person, he speaks of himself. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He's talking about himself here. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, out of the body I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. Let me just pause there for a moment. I've just got to say this. 
Paul caught up in the third heaven, heard things, which he says here, um, no man may utter. Well, what does this say to all of these quacks who've written these books and have gone on television about, you know, dying and going to heaven and seeing all of these things? Okay, they're quacks. That's all a farce. That's just to make money. That's just to make money. No, they didn't go to heaven. And then, of course, one bloke went to hell and came back to tell about it. We know. <laughs> no, you did not. No, no. So Paul, the great apostle Paul says, I saw and heard things I cannot even speak about. But he goes on. He says, on behalf of this man I will boast, but, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. In other words, I mean, <laughs> if I want to tell of the revelations, the visions, and everything that I saw in that third heaven, I would be telling the truth. I mean, this would not be a lie. But he says, but I refrain from it. So that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me, look at verse 7, here it is. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So clearly Paul knew the reason for the chastisement he knew the reason the lord was disciplining him here he says it point blank to keep me from becoming conceited three times i pleaded with the lord about this that it that it should leave me he's wanting the lord's heavy hand to be lifted verse 9 but he the lord said to me my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says in response to this, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So is there strength in weakness? Oh, yes, there is. Oh, yes, there is in this kind of weakness. The Lord chose not to take the messenger of Satan away from Paul. Not to remove the thorn. It was for Paul's good to keep him from becoming conceited because of the surpassing revelations God gave him. But also, the Lord assured his servant, as he would assure all of us, his servants, his people, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. It is enough. It is enough 
to sustain you, to supply everything you need to endure the pain. And you will get through. You will get through. We know the great apostle died well. When that time came, he died well. We know that David died well. We know the end of his story. Even though he not only had a time like this in Psalm 39, but we also know from the record in the, in the book of 2 Samuel that the Lord, as a matter of discipline, as a matter of chastening his servant, you remember what he said to David following David's sin with Bathsheba and the setting up of her husband to be murdered the Lord said, the sword will never leave your house. The sword will never leave your house. God forgave David his iniquity, but David was going to pay the price. He was going to pay the price. Not the ultimate price, not the ultimate price, but he was going to pay dearly in this life for what he had done. But yet... The Lord sustained David. The Lord kept David. The Lord preserved David. Just like he kept and sustained, preserved Job and Paul. And no different than he sustains and preserves all of his children. The promises that we see here in Scripture concerning God's sustaining sufficient grace in all our suffering... It's this, this is for us. This is for us. This is why Romans 8.31 says, what shall we say to these things? We just sang about that, right? These great things. R.C. Sproul wrote that hymn based on Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, if God is for us, who can be against us? We know it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. No one and no thing will succeed to take away from you what God has given, what God has provided, what God has sealed you for. Nothing. Nothing will succeed in taking away what God has done for you. Nothing. So is the pain real? Yes, it is. Are the tears real? Yes, they are. That's real. That's real. It really hurts. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you something far exceedingly more and more real than that, than all your pain and all your tears. What's more real than that is the grace, the sustaining, omnipotent, immutable grace of your heavenly Father who is keeping you to the very end. He will sustain you even if he doesn't remove your own thorn in the flesh. He will sustain you. He will keep you. And beloved, that should be our takeaway from 
this, this, this closing, this, this strange, complex, and almost discouraging closing to Psalm 39. Because at the end, we're like, well, gee, David, where's the hope? David was hoping in the Lord. Why do you think he was praying? <laughs> he, was, he was crying out to God. He was casting all his cares on the Lord. David never lost hope in the Lord. He just wasn't getting the answer at that moment in time that he desperately wanted the Lord to give him. Relief had not come. Not yet. But God, God had not forsaken David. And he will not forsake you. He will not forsake you. He keeps his own to the very end. And that should encourage us all. Let's pray. Our blessed Father, we are reminded, Lord, of what you tell us in your word, that through many tribulations we shall enter your kingdom. And all of us here today, Father, all of us who are your people, we can all testify personally to many tribulations that we ourselves have gone through. Tribulations that even perhaps we're facing right now at this very moment. But Lord, we are very grateful to you that all such trials and troubles are not in vain. That they are not without a divine purpose that you have ordained them to serve in our behalf. Working for us, as your word teaches us, a greater eternal weight of glory. And so even when your hand is so heavy upon us, Lord, in chastening us that all we can do is cry out, Oh God, remove, remove this stroke of hostility. Lord, even then, you still give us the hope if the relief has not yet come that you've not forsaken us you have not abandoned us. You are working in our lives even then to make us more like your son and thereby to sustain and preserve and to keep us all the way to the very end. And because of that, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word assures us that as your people we have nothing, therefore, to despair in all of our adversity and trouble. And so, like David, whose faith we should imitate greatly here in Psalm 39 because he he did indeed cast all his cares on you. He looked to you alone, Lord. He called upon you as his only hope. Indeed, he said, 
For what does he wait? His hope is in you. And so, Father, we, we ask and we pray for ourselves today as your saints here at this time and place in redemptive history that, like David, our brother, we will say by grace the same. For what do we wait? Our hope is in the Lord. And so, Father, we roll then all our anxieties on you, all our worries, all our worst fears. We cast all of them on you. And we thank you. We thank you that you will carry them, you will shoulder them for us, that your grace is enough, it's all we need. Your power is made perfect in all of our weaknesses. And so therefore, that is where we'll make our boast in our weakness and where you've slayed us because there the power of Christ may be on greater display to his glory and greatness. And certainly, Lord, as your people, that is the greatest thing that we should always want for ourselves, that the attention and the credit and the glory always is to be given to you. And so, Father, we thank you for what you have taught us and have shown us over these last several weeks in our musings of Psalm 39 and in many parallel passages of your holy word, helping us to see once again that you, our great eternal God, Holy Father, Holy Son, and Holy Spirit, you are our great and only sure hope. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.